0: Hello and welcome to Paleo Cinema Podcast 229. My name is Terry Frost and this time around I'm doing some lighter stuff. Just a couple of little whimsical movies that I kind of like. The first one is a Brian Trenchard Smith movie from the 1970s called Death Cheaters starring John Hargreaves and Grant Page and it's just basically an excuse to throw a whole bunch of stunts together. And then I'm moving on to the directorial debut of a comedian who I have seen do stand-up, and that is Bobcat Goldthwait's Shakes the Clown. So sit back, I'll get the contact details out of the way, let you know what I've been watching, and let you know what I've got coming up for the next Martian Drive-In podcast, and the show will commence. Okay, so how is everybody? We've been doing pretty well here, because today, uh, in the Gold Class Cinema, Sally and I saw Black Panther and loved it. Uh, I loved it more than she did, I think she's getting that phenomenon which has only come up in the last year or so among human beings, called superhero fatigue, but for me, I liked it a lot, uh, I was very impressed, I think it juggled so many balls very well, and in, as far as inclusion and representation, I think it's a game changer, but I'm not going to talk much about it because in the next Martian Drive-In podcast, I'm getting a guest on and we're going to talk about Black Panther, the guest is Lucas Garrett. He lives in america and he's got he has enormous uh, pop cultural geek cred he's into pulp fiction not the movie but the actual pulp fiction he's into dc and marvel stuff and all sorts of cool things like that so lucas and i are going to talk around black panther in fact i'm getting up at five o'clock in the morning to record that with him because he's in atlanta and it'll be about 1 pm for him But for me, it'll be five o'clock in the morning. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Nonetheless, it should be a lot of fun to talk it around. And I don't want to really take the juice out of it by talking about it too much now. Except to say that while we were eating, I had a really nice pulled pork roll with onion rings and pickle. And that was kind of cool. And they didn't show too many trailers before the movie. So those things are always a bonus, particularly when you're forking out the big bucks for a premium movie viewing experience. So that was kind of cool, so we did that today. Uh, What else has been happening? Nothing much life-wise. Tomorrow I'm going for a drive up in the country. I'm doing one of my semi-regular go for for a crazy long drive out in the country by myself, play loud music, and just get my head together. So I'm doing that tomorrow morning. That's going to be a bit of fun for me. Uh, The colonoscopy, in case people were wondering, went really well. No sign of anything there except me, which is kind of cool but um, the preparation and the kind of restricted diet and all of the large amounts of nasty drinks you've got to drink before you get that particular procedure done really fucked me around this time. So nonetheless, I survived it, did really well, um, and everything's all clear. I don't have to do this again for five years. So very happy about that. So anyway, uh, what have I been watching? Actually, a couple of things which are kind of cool and which I enjoyed. Um, on YouTube, I found out that pretty much all of the Basil Rathbone, Nigel Bruce, Sherlock Holmes movies from the 1940s are up on YouTube in pretty good copies. I think they're in public domain because they do appear in a lot of compilation discs that you can buy very, very cheaply out there. And I kind of enjoyed them. I saw two of them, The Pearl of Death and The Spider Woman, which had Gail Sondergaard in it playing a female kind of Moriarty-style character and having a great time while she's doing it. She's really a lot of fun in that. And I like the um, badnage and, and the playfulness between Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. I think that works really, really well. And even they're not much more than an hour long. They're not tremendously long movies. But you do get some very clever bits of business in them. And just as an entertainment, they're a lot of fun to just kind of, you know, you've got an hour to kill. You don't want to do anything too brain-straining, so you pop one of those up on the screen and go for it. It's um, well, you have heard a lot of bad press about them and a lot of people bad-mouthing those particular versions that they're not true to Canon. But as standalone entertainments and realising the fact that they were kind of B or C pictures and second um, features in the 1940s, they're kind of fun. And they're basically there to entertain uh, I think that Rathbone does a really nice job as Holmes and Nigel Bruce, even though he is a bit of a, um, kind of idiot as Dr. Watson, which is not actually the Dr. Watson that uh, Arthur Conan and Doyle created. I think that those two playing together makes it kind of okay because it's fun and I really did enjoy, um, visiting those. I kind of, I may have seen one or two in the past, but I haven't really kind of focused on them, but they're worth your time they're, they're a little bit of fun uh one other thing i've seen is i found a copy of a television pilot that george rr R. martin wrote nearly 1990s called doorways it was the um, pilot that they tore apart to make sliders for and it's kind of cool um, i'm not going to talk too much about it because i want to throw it into a future episode with a guest on Martian driving podcast, but especially about traveling to alternate timelines and it sets up uh, the potential series quite well. Uh, the first leap by uh, this doctor played by George Newbern and a um, a woman who has been captured by an alien race in another timeline. Uh, Their first place they leap to is a world where a, bacteria has destroyed all plastics. And so technology's been set back a long way. And there's a lot of fun in that one. Uh, There's some beautiful set design. There's some great streetscapes of people riding bicycles and on horseback because, of course, cars don't work without petroleum and plastics. And it, uh, I think that it's one of those kind of early 90s ones where they were playing a bit careful because it was network television. And as we all know, network television as it was then, had so many stupid restrictions on it that it dumbed down and watered down most of the concepts with which it played. But in spite of that it, it shines through a little bit and I kinda like it and it's left on a literal cliffhanging ending, literally, and I'm not saying literally figuratively, a literal cliffhanger ending which is kind of cool. And set up the series that never happened really, really interestingly. I also got a YouTube video out, surprisingly enough, and that one was on a subject that I do like a lot. I put up a fence for keeping physical media and actually gave reasons why, and that was a bit of fun to research and to kind of put my thoughts together and get it done. It went a little bit uh, faster than the last one I did because it was slightly shorter. Let's see, that one was 7 minutes 25 seconds. Whereas the one I did before was 22 minutes and 23 seconds. So, yeah, there, there was, it was pretty lean. Uh, the ideas were fairly simple and well ex- um, expressed. In fact, I didn't express them like this at all. Um, yeah, it was really fun to do. I upgraded the software that I'm using, Corel Video Studio Ultimate. So that one um, has a lot of useful bits, putting in subtitles to things is dead simple using it. And uh, just kind of moving things into the timeline, making sure the pacing's right, finding the right thing to put in there. It's And I can also do frame within frame now. In fact, I can do up to five or six frames within frames if I want to. And so it's an endless sandbox for anybody that's interested at all in, uh, not filmmaking necessarily. I suppose the argument could be made that these are like mini documentaries. But... I'm enjoying the discipline of doing that and, and the fun of it and writing the scripts out. I can extemporise it the way I extemporise the podcast. But I think that with the targeted videos, it's going to go better if I just kind of do a script, read it out nicely and then slather it all over with graphics, which is what, pretty much what I've been doing. So that's, um, that's a good little hobby for me and I'm looking forward to doing much, much more of that. So um, we're going to take a break now, and when we get back, I'm going to talk about, oh, it is in chronological order, Death Cheaters by Brian Trenchard-Smith from, I think, 19, 1976. Starring John Hargreaves, Grant Page has got Noel Ferrier in it, uh, Ralph Cotterall, John Crum, Drew Forsyth in it, Roger Ward turns up as a police sergeant, which is a lot of fun, Chris Hayward turns up as a butcher, And they've got a few other actors of the time some of them still have a pulse night oddly enough uh doing little bits of business around and through and between and upon the stunts That's a really bad theme song to Death Cheaters, a 1976 exploitation movie directed by Brian Trenchard-Smith and starring John Hargreaves and Graham Page. Uh, They play Steve and Rodney, two ex-Vietnam vet commandos who do stunt work for television. They are hired by the government to raid an island stronghold of a Filipino racketeer and secure papers from his safe. The two men make the raid and escape using a hang glider. That's pretty much it. There's lots of little frilly bits around the side, but that's pretty much it. And I kind of like this. Uh, I would have liked it to have been better in some ways, but I do like the idea of the really um, wild stunts that they do, and they're all done full on. They're not uh, CG. I don't think there's any wire work in them. They're just the stunt guys. And John Hargreaves, who was a jobbing actor, doing his own stunts in fact he got damaged um, doing the stunts for this particular movie and so Graham Page got a lot of the action towards the rear end of the movie because John Hargreaves was injured John Hargreaves is a well-liked and well-known Australian actor he did a lot of television stuff but he was also in movies like The Long Weekend in 1978 he was in Don's Party Mad Dog Morgan Sunday Too Far Away The Removalists The Killing of Angel Street Hoodwink uh, and careful he might hear you. So he did a ton of Australian movies. Unfortunately, he died at an early age due to AIDS. Uh, he was um, a gay gentleman, and unfortunately, that fucking virus took him away from us because he, he had gravitas as an actor. He could do comedy. He could do serious stuff. Um, he is a loss to the industry and a loss to Australian culture in general but in this one he's playing it light. he's got a a big mustache and they're dressed up very 1970s style he's um not taking it any more seriously than he has to but um yeah in in this one I, i really like him a lot there's also a movie he did called sky pirates which was a kind of indiana jones knockoff which is worth checking out if you get a chance to it's um very kind of weird and the budget wasn't great but if you're looking at um, indiana jones ripoffs that's probably one of the better ones then we have Grant page the notorious and rightly well regarded australian stunt person he did a lot of the stunts for mad max he also did the ones for man from hong kong uh brian trenchard smith's previous action film and um grand page apparently was a lovely guy i know my good friend Ivor cole was mates with grand page back in their sydney days in the 70s and he was just a maniac uh, all sorts of wild things he would climb cliffs free climb cliffs around the harbour and around the gap and things like that just for fun i do know for a fact from Ivor that he and Ivor climbed down north head in the, at the heads of sydney harbour at night time while stoned together uh, just so they could watch the sun rise from the um the end of north head which as you do It's 1970s, North Head. To be honest with you, Sydney Harbour gives you some of the best sunrises I've ever seen, so I can totally understand why they did that. So he's in there. Never a fantastic actor, but I don't think that was really his emphasis. He's still around too. He's uh, got a couple of awards a couple of years ago. He's around 80 years old and still doing stuff. I know he did stunts as recently as a couple of years ago. He did stunts in Gods of Egypt, the Alex Proyas. A notoriously unsuccessful um, Egyptian fantasy film. So he did that. Uh, he's a stunt coordinator in a couple of things recently too. This year he's the stunt coordinator in a short film called The Defector. He was a stunt coordinator in 2016 for *Mechanic: The Resurrection*, which is the reboot of uh, the *Mechanic* movie that was filmed a lot in Australia, it was starring Jason Statham. So he's still got his hand in there. Um, with a lot of stuff and and great too. He stunt coordinator on a TV series called Danger Five. If you try to if you can find a copy of Danger Five, it's the most ridiculous low budget um, kind of nostalgia for the 1960s uh, TV series around. You should be able to find it somewhere. Uh, but Danger Five is no, definitely on my recommendation list. So it's good to see Grand Page is still there and has finally become incredibly well regarded in the film industry and rightly so for the work that he put in in the 70s and 80s and the fact that he was totally fearless. He wrestled a bloody cheater, amongst other things. If you have a look at the documentary that Brian Trenchard Smith did in 1989, Danger Freaks, there's a lot of crazy shit that um, uh, Grant Page does in that one that amazed me when I watched it, I, I rewatched it a couple of years ago. i have actually got it uh, lined up again on my Plex to watch it again. It's um, it's just full on crazy. The man's a nut, but he's like an inspired nut. But uh, Death Cheaters, we've also got uh, some interesting character actors in there. By the way, one of the interesting things about this, from what I understand is the sort of lead actress in this one, Margaret Girard, is actually the wife of Brian Trenchard-Smith. They've been together ever since they made this movie in 1976 and still devoted to each other, which is kind of cool. Um, you've also got a dog called Bismarck, who's Grant Page's dog, played by a real dog called Ziggy, who's obviously died by now. But uh, Grant Page has a nice rapport with the dog. You have Noel Ferrier, great Australian character, actor, playing Pepper, the intelligence boss who hires the guys to do this crazy mission in the Philippines. And um, I really like Noel Ferrer. He did any number of wonderful things. Uh, he did a lot of good stage work. He was in The Return of Captain Invincible, The Year of Living Dangerously, with Sigourney Weaver and Mel Gibson. Uh, of course, he was in Death Cheaters. He was in Eliza Fraser with uh, Susanna York. He was in Scobie Malone with uh, Jack Thompson. I've talked about that one in a previous um Episode of Paleo Cinema Podcast and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, he's also an Alvin Purple playing the judge, and he was kind of a, a round guy with very kind of rotund vowels in his speech and played a number of really cool character roles that way. I uh, died in 1997, unfortunately, at the age of 66, but in the Australian film and television industry, he was also well regarded, and in this one he plays it up really wonderfully. We've got um, a bunch of other people. Drew Forsyth turning up as the director for the battle scenes, kind of channeling Eric von Stroheim. Uh, we've got uh, Ralph Cotterill, Australian character, director, who's the henchman for Cold Pepper, the Noel Ferrier character, who has a lot of fun with his one. Roger Ward turns up as a copper during a totally extraneous chase sequence where uh, this weird, kind of buggy that Grant Page in real life made uh, with enormous tyres on it and a long wheelbase uh, ends up getting in the middle of a bunch of bank robbers escaping and they track down the bank robbers and have an enormous uh, car chase. The buggy's actually called Buttercup from what I read here on IMDb. But they have this enormous car chase through the streets of Sydney where they wreck a whole bunch of cars all of which are now worth a lot of money because they used... 10 or 15 year old cars of course at the time and those cars are now classic bits of uh australian motoring history in a sense there are old holdens particularly and a few fords that get knocked around but particularly the holdens it's a bit tragic to watch somebody smashing the fuck out of a 1965 holden eh ed holden not the eh but the ed Uh, when you know that anybody who is a Holden fan would die for the cars now. And they end up doing the car chase in Warringah Mall shopping centre and uh, doing some wonderful things there and the cops turn up and Roger Woods, one of the cops that turns up to arrest the bank robbers, which is kind of um, fun and cool and totally extraneous to the thin plot of this movie. Oddly enough, Sally and I were at Warringah Mall just over a year ago ignore the noise in the background uh, and it's the weirdest fucking shopping centre ever it doesn't actually have a roof it has a whole bunch of arcades with cloth sails over the top of them and we got there on a really stinking day about a year and a bit ago and it was like being in a sauna no kidding, once you got in the shops you are okay, but until you got in the shops uh, Warringah Mall was an oppressively hot place to be, it, it really isn't well designed at all uh, and seeing how as it was in 19, 1970s before they did all the retro fitting of these sales and things like that was kind of interesting for me so uh they didn't actually film in the philippines surprisingly enough no actually it's no surprise at all they filmed the action stunts for this one in not far from where my mum and my sister live my mum's in a nursing home now and they filmed the giant complex in Matraville, in New South Wales at the old Bunnerong Power Station, which was an old coal-fired power station, just a little bit north of where the fortress scenes in Mission Impossible 2 were filmed on Bear Island. Uh, the one John Woo did. So that one where they had the kind of doves flying through these old fortifications where the bad guys are hanging out. And Tom Cruise rides a motorbike down the uh, causeway to Bear Island. Nice part of the world down there. Right? It's one of the parts of Sydney I really like. And also, on Bear Island, they do an indigenous market once a month, which is a really cool thing if you're visiting Sydney. Just did a little research. Where they filmed Death Cheat is at the Bunurong Power Station. It is now an industrial estate just kind of north of La Perouse. So I got that part right. But there's no sign of it now it was an old coal-fired power station they ripped it down and tore everything up and turned it into uh, an industrial estate it's now surrounded on one side by the port of botany and on the other side by a bunch of real estate which i would never be able to afford because it's down near the waterfront in the eastern suburbs of sydney which has got real estate which have prices that look like geographical coordinates for me, this is a very nostalgic movie as well, because having lived in Sydney at the time and growing up there, I love movies that show me Sydney the way I remember it from my early years, from my teens and, and early 20s in particular, because in a sense, with all the modern stuff, and I've talked about this when I did the podcast about my trip to Sydney, you get your past overlaid with the new stuff. And it's easier to just remember the new stuff and to know, see, realise how things are now, but kind of lose the detail of how the place was in previous decades. And the good thing about Ausploitation movies for me is I get to see that stuff uh, preserved. Now, this isn't something that Australia has historically done. Finding old footage of particularly sit country areas forget it you're not going to find it you may find a bunch of stuff in waking fright if you live in broken hill but for the most part our history isn't written in cinema the way that say history in a number of places in the united states and the uk are where the resources for that are pretty thin so when i do see things like that for places that i know and to be honest love i kind of treasure it a lot and um that's one of the probably one of the core reasons why I love with movies, apart from the fact that I saw a lot of them at the time they were made. I like that feel of how things used to be. Now, Australia now is a much more nuanced and complex and textured place than it was then. We've got more multiculturalism. We've got a whole bunch of different influences coming in. We're kind of fighting culture wars about what it is to be Australian and to retain that inclusive, welcoming nature that has been part of us for a century at least. And we're also addressing a lot of the bad things that have happened in the past, indigenous disenfranchisement, all those kind of issues. But one of the things that this movie does in its stupid, silly, frivolous way is shows you a kind of non-toxic Australian masculinity where you have jokes with your mates and you do silly things and you have a drink and you don't take yourself too seriously but you take what you do seriously. All of those kind of qualities are qualities of mind that are typically Australian. Uh, And a lot of our movies from the time at varying degrees express that, particularly a movie from the late 70s like Newsfront, which shows us the best of who we are and our national character and silly little movies like death cheaters kind of are a part of that they're on that continuum there even though the guys kind of have you know stunt practice all over the house while um the john hargreaves character's wife is trying to get things done around the place she's a teacher and that kind of dynamic doesn't quite play as well as it does as it did then doesn't play as well now as it did then in spite of that i think that and, of course, um, the Grant Page character is a kind of lascivious kind of guy and just a little bit sexist in a pat on the ass kind of way, but not in putting the heavy, hard word onto women. Uh, yeah, I mean, that stuff was a part of the cinema at the time and was a part, unfortunately, of the way our culture was portrayed at the time. It's like they say in The Go-Between the past is a different country. They did things differently there. Now the quality of the film itself isn't that great because it was originally filmed on 16mm because that's what Brian Trenchard Smith could afford and it was blown up to 35 and that always gives you that slight graininess. So you're never going to get a beautiful sharp 70mm Blu-ray of this movie. It's got the limitations of the way it was filmed in it but again it comes down to a couple of cool things about it the landscapes of sydney are great the um, rapport between grant page and john hargreaves is there noel ferrier in there as the comic relief intelligence officer and the wonderful stunts there's some great uh stunts of hang gliding there's cliff climbing there's a whole bunch of explosive stunts there's even a medieval battle chucked in there for um, comic relief format which, uh, which is crazy uh it was filmed in a day that uh scene right at the start where they're filming a commercial using uh, a whole bunch of medieval knights with armor and swords and chainmail and things like that filmed all of that in a day because of the limitations the movie didn't make its money back either by the way it was a real success um it cost $120,000, which wasn't that great at the time uh, they sold it to Channel Nine. They pre- did a pre-sale to Channel Nine to show it on TV for fifty grand. They did overseas sales of forty grand, and it made thirty grand in Australia. So all up, it kind of um, hang on, the, no, the budget was one hundred fifty-seven. I apologize. Budget was one hundred fifty-seven. They made one hundred and twenty back on it so they really didn't do well out of this one because economics i suppose if it was made in 2018 they probably got their money back from us pre-sale to netflix rather than channel Nine, who were notoriously cheap in the way that they um financed their purchases of the rights to certain products one of the other people that turns up in this one which is interesting is chris haywood uh who I like his anecdote. He was in Newsfront and a bunch of other things as well. And I saw him most recently in an Australian movie called Australia Day that was made in 2017. But Chris Hayward does a little bit as a butcher who um, gets a leg of lamb stolen from him by the Grant Page character who then throws it through the windshield of the car with the bank robbers in it to stop them. So enormous leg of lamb, throws it through a car window smashes the glass and stops the car it's the first time i've ever seen a car chase that included a leg of lamb but i think it's something that could work long term as a viable option in car stunts so just to finalize on death cheaters a lot of fun i'm going to watch danger freaks very very soon because i'm in that mood for crazy australian stunt work at the moment but this one is, you know, it's an entertainment, it's a very light kind of movie, it's, but it's definitely Osploitation and it's kind of cool, if you can find a copy of it, I believe it was released on DVD, along with Danger Freaks at one stage, but the only place you may find it now is by more subterranean sources, without going into too many details, but if you're an Osploitation completist, you might want to check out uh, Death Cheaters. So it's time for a break now. I'm going to be talking about Shakespeare Clown when I get back from the break. But in the meantime, I've found just the right music to phase us into Palookaville and the world of clowns versus mimes. Mm-hmm. Because that was Gary Lewis and the Playboys with Everybody Loves a Clown, a song which is referenced in the directorial feature film debut of Bobcat Goldthwait being, of course, Shakes the Clown. I'll give you the synopsis from Wikipedia. The film was a dark comedy about a birthday party clown played by Bobcat Goldthwait in the grips of the depression and alcoholism who is framed for murder. Different communities of clowns, mimes and other performers are depicted as clownish, rival or subcultures obsessed with precedence and status. This was Goldthwaite's bitter satire on the dysfunctional stand-up comedy circuit he knew as a performer. And that's kind of cool. Uh, turning it over into clowns is a useful metaphor for comedy. Now, oddly enough, back not too long after this movie came out. I saw Bobcat Goldthwait and the villain of this movie, Tom Kenny, do stand-up. Tom Kenny was the support act for Bob Goldthwaite. They were both at a comedy club in North Melbourne at the time. And I saw them and Bob Goldthwaite really nailed it. This was the early 90s and he did material about Michael Jackson giving $17 million to a kid that he allegedly abused. And the punchline for it from Goldthwait was, for $17 million in America, you can fuck anyone. And he went there. He went to places where no other comedians were going. And it was interesting because he had a heckler while I was there. I was kind of about three rows back uh, with, I forget who I was with, maybe been with a girlfriend at the time. And they had a heckler at the front because he was doing his stand-up persona, the kind of stoned out, squeaky voice kind of guy. Uh, which people expected of course because that's what we knew before from the movies he'd done but he was doing a, a really shredding stand-up set and someone in the front row complained about the fact that they had this stone fucked up comedian on stage and yeah you know, she didn't pay to see this kind of shit. and so instantly Goldthwait steps out of character straightens up and says excuse me madam but I'm an actor and then goes back into character And the audience just fell apart. He was fucking terrific. He addressed the issue like nothing I'd ever seen. And I really liked it. Tom Kenny's support actor. I don't remember too much about that, but he was good. He did the voices. Of course, he went on later to do the voice of Spongebob Squarepants. So I've seen Spongebob Squarepants do stand-up, so there. Uh, But the supporting cast in this one is pretty good as well. You've got Julie Brown as Judy, the girlfriend of um, Shake's who speaks with eroticism, she does, you know, like Elmer Fudd kind of speech impediment, and her best friend's played by Kathy Griffin, a comedian who copped a lot of shit for doing that severed Trump head thing a couple of years ago, which I didn't find particularly offensive, I thought it was legitimate political satire, but a lot of people kind of disagree with that. We've got um, Robin Williams playing a mime. Uh, he was credited in the movie not as Robin Williams, because of course he was a big star in 1991, but as Marty fromage. Uh, we've got Paul Dooley playing um, Shake's manager, Owen Cheese, and Paul Dooley, fantastic character actor, really well regarded in acting in comedy circles. Uh, who else we got here? Florence Henderson turns up right at the start. As a one night stand, that shakes picks up, and she gets some um, some good lines in there. The the kid playing her kid gets the best lines, but Florence Henderson did a really nice job of um, playing a sort of woman who picks up clowns for a one night stand, and uh, playing against type of course from the Brady Bunch shit that she did. Have I told you how much I don't like Brady Bunch? I'll tell you why I didn't like Brady Bunch back in the day. Because it was about a blended family, you know, two parents bringing their kids together. And that was the situation I was in when my father got custody of me. His girlfriend had two kids as well. And there were were problems, let's just say that. So along comes the Brady Bunch saying that everything is cool when you have a blended family. And everything's sweet and everybody's kind of more or less nice to each other. And the disconnect between that image of a blended family and the one I was living with really pissed me off and the dishonesty of network television at the time in showing that pissed me off because I was living through a pretty nightmarish situation in a blended family and you know the big supportive dad and all that kind of shit was just something that was totally alien to my lived experience and so I never engaged with the Brady Bunch that's a side issue. So getting back to Florence Henderson, nice touch of comedy there, getting her to play against type, and she did it very well. And the scene is kind of gross as well, because Shakes wakes up while a little kid's pissing in the toilet and sits up between the kid and the toilet and ends up getting pissed on, which, you know, piss jokes are always kind of funny. They're historically one of the most blatant forms of broad comedy, dating back as far as Chaucer. Anyway, Shakes is an alcoholic. He's um, not faithful to his girlfriend by the way Julie Brown did a whole bunch of really cool novelty songs back in the 80s and 90s um, not, and he's a kind of self-destructive character really doesn't have his shit together at all but he has a nemesis and, and we do see in the first gig that Shakes does as a party clown that is an incredibly gifted clown he, he can juggle he can uh, do acrobatics he can engage the kids and get them to go along with him but he's filled with self-loathing and self-doubt and all those kind of things of which performers are sometimes prone. So again, you've got to remember that analogy between the clown world and the comedy world because that's the point that Goldthwaite is making with this movie. And his enemy, Binky, is a monstrous character. Fucking hate Binky. Uh, Tom Kenny's sharp features, the Binky makeup is incredibly creepy And he's a passive-aggressive and menacing tool. He's the kind of evil clown stereotype in a comedy movie. But anyway, I probably should play the trailer for Chase the Clown uh, just to kind of get you in the mood for the rest of what I'm going to say about it.
1: If you're looking for two-fisted action... I know karate! (laughs) Well, I know the Vulcan nerve pinch. High drama. Hey, wait a minute. You clowns are on dope and forbidden romance. <laughs> 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 you uh might want to look somewhere else. What's your name? Shakes. Shakes the clown. <laughs> oh my <laughs> head! <laughs> You're not funny, clown. Okay, <laughs> you blow that horn one more time, I'm gonna shove it right up your. Everybody loves a clown, so
0: why don't I?
1: <laughs> Mom, who's the naked clown in our
0: bathroom? Your total disregard for the clown code of ethics Ooh. would make your poor father, Lippy, turn over in his grave. <laughs>
1: oh, and, uh, Shakes? Yeah? Take a bath, will you? Yeah. Oh, really scary. Guys like that, you know? You give clowns a bad name. When's the last time a film's made you feel this good, huh? You spit it out! No, I didn't! I saw you! No, it was yummy. Hubba, hubba, Julie Brown. Leave me alone, milkman scum! Bobcat Goldflick wait. Here I come! Ready! Eddie. In the Citizen Kane of alcoholic clown movies... What a morning.
0: (coughs) Shakes the Clown. Had
1: enough?
0: (laughs) So that's the trailer for Shakes the Clown. Uh, The whole plot of it is that Peppy the clown who does a TV series, is retiring or being sacked. And Shakes and Binky are going up for the role of replacing him in the children's TV series because children's TV series with clowns can never go wrong. And we do see ver- some of the very, very old-fashioned kind of TV children's show stuff that Pepe does. The clowns in the clown bar, because there is a clown bar in the clown world of Palugaville, the town in which they live, the clown bar is called the Twisted Balloon, which is kind of cool. And all the clowns are sitting around watching Pepe do his gig. And a female clown by played by uh, character actress LaMonda Page gets the best line in the movie and here it is they're watching Peppy do this really sh- horrible shtick and I'll just let it play because I love this line.
1: Really ho ho we'll <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> as soon as that camera is off he gonna fuck that little dog.
0: I love that line. <laughs> and it's a great line reading as well. Um, yeah, so anyway, um, Binky gets the job, uh, not Shakes. By the way, Shakes has a couple of buddies. I, mean, I didn't mention this before. Uh, Dink and Stenchy, played by Blake Clark, and a young Adam Sandler. Now, one of the, I don't like Adam Sandler as an actor, as a rule, but he's okay in this one, mostly because he's covered in clown makeup through the whole thing, and he doesn't do the stupid Adam Sh- Sandler shtick. That I find kind of repugnant. But um, so he's got these two mates and um, they're part of it. Uh, Blake Clark is as stenchy as a big butch kind of clown who dresses up in drag, of course, because it's funnier that way. Um, so Binky gets the gig as the TV star of the replacement for Peppy show. And there are a couple of problems with this. One is Binky is drug fucked as hell, Binky is psychopathic. And Binky isn't funny at all as a clown. And you do get to see a bit of what he wants to do with this clown show. And it's monstrously bad. I'm going to play you a bit of that as well because it's just so wrong key for a children's show, trying to do like a sexy cabaret act for a kid's show. But this is what Binky comes up with as his first gig as the star of the clown TV show.
1: That's it. You're getting it. Give it up. Come on. What does it say? Harder. Give it up. Come on. Do it. Come on. That's good. That's good. Come on, a little more. Don't hold back. Three, two, Binky. Good morning, kid. I'm up with the sun. It's time for games, laughs, and cartoon fun. Come on and join in. Binky. I'm in the fun lane.
0: Yeah, it's that bad. It is atrociously <laughs> bad. And seeing it with the visuals is even worse. So um, Binky's there. He's kidnapped Shake's girlfriend. Uh, and he's about to kill her live on television. So Judy um, isn't in a good situation there. Of course, uh, Shake's comes to the rescue with his friends and everything's okay. But one of the interesting things about this is that this is consistent with the other movies that were directed by Bobcat Goldthwait, subsequent to Shakes the Clown. Uh, He did a couple of them, and he's not scared to kind of tackle subjects that are really, really kind of out there. Uh, In 2006, he did a movie called Sleeping Dogs Lie, uh, which is as transgressive as hell. Um, It starred uh, Melinda Page Hamilton as a woman called Amy, who, when she was 18 at school... She just gave her dog oral sex impulsively. And eight years later, she's living a nice life as a school teacher. She's engaged to a nice guy. And her fiancé suggests they have complete honesty. And she tells him that she once, when she was 18 and a bit silly, had gave a dog oral sex. And it changes her life entirely. And again, this is one's got a, um, a redemption arc to it. Uh, but again, it's um, it's a very transgressive movie. John Waters liked the movie a lot, and it shows um, that an interesting viewpoint. And the Goldthwaite isn't scared to do a really black comedy, which hinges around a very transgressive moment when somebody was very young. So it's got that redemption arc in it. I'm really gonna have to rewatch that one because I think it's. Uh, I like Bob K. Goldthwaite's movie, so he did that one, Sleeping Dogs Line 2006. He did one of the last good Robin Williams movie in 2009, a movie called World's Greatest Dad, which has got a fantastic premise. Um, Robin Williams plays a guy who's a single father and a high school English teacher, who uh, his 15-year-old son, Kyle, is a pornography-obsessed, nasty piece of work. He's a, he's a totally shit human being. And um one day Lance, the character played by Robin Williams, goes into his son's room and finds out that his kids killed himself by autoerotic asphyxiation. And he's shattered by it. He loves his kid even though his kid's a total piece of shit. He's there's just something wrong in the kid. So to avoid the embarrassment, Lance finds the kid who's died of autoerotic asphyxiation. So he writes a suicide note on the kid's computer and hangs his son's body in the closet, and the suicide note inspires a whole bunch of people to talk about their problems, and suddenly this kid who was a total tool and a total just fucking wrong one ends up being an inspirational hero posthumously, but Lance has got the guilt of knowing that he basically faked the means of his son's suicide and wanted people to think better of his son, and yet Deep in his heart, he knows his son was a piece of shit, but everybody is seeing him as an inspirational hero. It's a really nice independent film, and it does, again, have that redemption arc that uh, is a part of what Bobcat Goldfrey does as a director. And it's really impressive. And then he did another movie in 2011 called God Bless America, which had Joel Murray in it. And it's about gun culture and the insanity of America as it is now, it really, um, in the format of a black comedy, it talks a lot about the things that are wrong with his country. And it's really good. In 2013, Godfrey also did a horror movie called Willow Creek, which I haven't seen, but which I'm going to have to see now, because you know how it gets when you're on a roll with a particular uh, movie maker, you've got to see as much of them as you possibly can afterwards. And so I'm going to have to check out willow creek and kind of go there and just see how uh bob k goldthwaite handles uh full-on horror film even though it does seem from what i'm looking at on wikipedia to be a found footage horror film which is never my favorite sub genre of of horror but uh just to round things off with Shakespeare clown i like bob k goldthwaite as a performer i've seen him do stand up and um, i've seen him interviewed a number of times I think that he's the kind of guy that I want to see make more movies because he's definitely an original voice. And I never had the problem with his comic persona that a lot of other people have had with it. And um, yeah, more, more voices, more independent voices, more diverse voices are exactly what cinema needs. And on that note... I should let you know that uh, the next Martian Driving Podcast I'm doing next week, I'm actually doing with a guest. I'm doing it with a Facebook friend of mine from Atlanta in America, uh, Lucas Garrett, who's going to give us his viewpoint on Black Panther. Um, We're going to be recording at five o'clock in the morning, my time tomorrow, which is going to be a lot of fun. We'll see how that plays out. But Lucas is a, a really good comic geek. He's a Pulp Fiction geek. He's a James Bond freak. And he is also a black American. So I wanted to get a viewpoint that wasn't just my white guy on the other side of the planet viewpoint on black pants. I think it's an important enough piece of popular culture to do that. And so Lucas and I are going to talk about that tomorrow. I kind of sent him a message on Facebook and he kindly agreed to do it. And we're going to just basically geek out Wakanda style and uh, have a good time. I'm really looking forward to doing that one. I okay, guess so I'm going to take another break and then I've got a bit of feedback and I found another appropriate song to play for this particular podcast. Ha,
1: uh-huh, ha, said the clown Has the king lost his crown Is the knight being tied on romance? Ha, uh-huh, ha, said the clown Is it bringing you down That you've lost your chance? got to go see a show in town hear the jokes have a smoke and I laugh at the clown in the world see a girl with a smile in her eyes never thought I'd be brought right down by her lies France, watch her dance to the beat of the drums that's the All this ha oh, ha, oh, said the clown. Has the king lost his crown? Is the knight being tied on romance?
0: So I got an email of um, feedback from Ken Crimstein. So thanks for that, Ken. Hope you're staying well there in Illinois. Uh, Ken says, Hi, Cherry. Totally enjoyed your review. For your information, I just finished a 243-page graphic novel biography of Hannah Arendt from Bloomsbury." I reckon i will be out in Australia sometime around the end of the year. I've attached a shot of the cover. But I'm a huge fan of Fritz Lang, Bertolt Brecht and things Vima, so I was happy to hear you give one of my favourite Hollywood Lang films its props. He was talking about uh, Hangmen Also Die. I've also written elsewhere that I think it's the greatest war film of all time. Yes, even better than Patton or Air Force or Forbidden Games or, well... Why? Because it's the most nefarious part of a war, civilian collaboration. The enemy next door, the enemy inside your door, the enemy inside your head. I know the film was star-crossed in many ways, but Lang uber delivers as usual. And you did it justice. Thanks, and I hope all is well, Ken. Yeah, all is well, Ken, thank you for that feedback, and I appreciate that I did it justice. I was trying to... And I like Brecht. Uh, one of my favorite records is the Shakespeare Festival version of the Thrippany Opera with Raul Julia and Blair Brown in it. So I'm a big Brecht fan in that sense too. Uh, if you get a chance to get that album, I recommend it to anybody because it's fantastic. It really does give the full-on version of a lot of the lyrics. Uh, things like, you know, What Keeps Mankind Alive and The barrel, the Ballad sorry, of Immoral Earnings it's a fantastic um version of it and you should be able to find it on uh spotify hopefully and itunes and all those other places but yeah uh big fan of Brecht myself and of course fritz lang what's not to love there so thank you very much for that ken i really appreciate the feedback let's see if i've got any other feedback happening here No, just a whole bunch of spam. So, anyway, that's about it this time around. It's a slightly shorter episode than usual, which isn't particularly a bad thing. Uh, I will be back. I've got an idea for the next episode of Paleo Cinema that might be a lot of fun. So, I'm looking forward to that. And then, of course, I've got the Black Panther thing with Lucas Garrett happening tomorrow, which I'm going to be releasing on the weekend. So... Really looking forward to that one as well, because I really want to hear what Lucas has got to say about the film, and we'll have a bit of a chat around the subject of Afrofuturism and representation, all those important issues, which are a bit odd to come up in a superhero movie, but fortunately they have. So anyway, look after yourselves. Uh, the credits will be at the end, as usual. Take care of yourselves. Watch some good movies. Watch some bad movies. Watch any movies at all. I'm looking forward to a bunch of things coming up, in fact, uh... Jessica Jones Series 2 comes out in early February. Then we've got Infinity War coming out and a whole bunch of other Marvel-related things. So that there's a good year for film this year, and I think that uh, the Oscars reflected. it. I've really got to watch three billboards. I do um, have a screener of three billboards that I'm looking forward to watching and a few other films that are up for Oscars this year. So, uh, so anyway, take care of yourselves. I'll be back very soon. And here, of course, are the credits. And here are the credits. Thank you to Tom, the focus puller, Sarah, the special effects technician, Ian, the caterer, Grant, the technical consultant, Claire, the script doctor, Gary, the prop master, Morris, our music director, Jan, our dialect coach, Armin, our key grip, Matt, our rattlesnake wrangler, Elaine, our scientific advisor, Julia, our casting director, Chris, the camera operator, Christopher the gaffer, Miss Jane the wardrobe mistress, Tansy our Foley artist, Alyssa our location scout, Mark our setting unit director, Paul our special effects makeup special makeup effects director, Tammy our donut wrangler, Tim our New York unit director, Rabbi Steve our spiritual advisor. Steve, our monster effects guy. Dylan, our goat wrangler. Eric, our set security lead. Richard H, the set photographer. Mark D, extra. David L, the extra. Richard C, our transportation co-captain. Carrie L, our Tasmanian consultant. And Carrie C, our accountant. We also have... Sally our continuity girl and of course the other Sally who is always helpful and encouraging and wonderful. So thank you very much to all of the Patreon subscribers. You too can be a Patreon subscriber by going to patreon.com/paleocinema and donating as little as a dollar per month.